0: Happy New Year, everybody. On a very special episode of Hangar Talk, we're going to do our year-end top stories, starting with Mosaic, the FAA's new light sport changes.
1: Speaking of the FAA, 2023 was a rough year for the FAA.
0: Yes, it was. Also, we're going to talk about Trent Palmer and Trevor Jacob, the legal questions of the year.
1: And we have some updates for Reno Air Race fans.
0: Also, fuels, you know, it was going to be on there. 100 low lead, the move away from leaded fuel.
1: And one thing that we talked about last episode is still on people's mind is Vance Aircraft filing for bankruptcy protection.
0: All right, David, you ready to do some year-end wrap-up? Let's talk about the wrap-up, Ian from AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, back With your hosts, Ian Twomley and David Tulitz. This
1: is Hangar Talk.
0: Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. David Toulis here. David, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all that.
1: Happy Holidays to you, Ian, fellow airplane owner.
0: Yeah, my Christmas present to myself. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I hope you're having a great holiday. So we're going to really quickly get into the top stories of the year, starting with Mosaic. Now, this is a really boring acronym for a really important concept, and that is basically I mean, you can take all the rule changes and everything else, and boil it down to an expansion of LSA.
1: That's right, and this was published around um, I want to say right at the beginning of Airventure this year, yeah, July, in July twenty fourth or so, yeah. right? And so Mosaic, the modernization of special airworthiness certification, abbreviated Mosaic, and it's been on the tip of people's tongues for a while, even though it's a tongue twister, but it does <laughs> it does expand most LSAs from like two seats to four seats, Yeah, but you can only still have you and one other person in the aircraft.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I mean, that's how most of us fly anyway. So it's going to, I think more, I mean, I boy, I don't know as much about European certification, but I know there are some that are performance-based, some certifications that are performance-based depending on the country. Right, And that's essentially what this does. So it sets a stall speed, which is what it should have been all along, as we know. Right. Right now, that speed is 54 knots. AOPA, I think, and, and others are going to push to make that just a little bit higher.
1: So it's more inclusive of things like a 182 or yeah. Archer, Bobby Archer or Cherokee 180, that which have a couple of knots
0: higher style speeds on occasion. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's right. But yeah, I mean, the airplanes that most of us fly, those 182s, the... 172s, the 152s, the tripacers, all that would be included in those light sport rules. And you know, that has major implications all across the industry, I think. Right.
1: So we're looking forward to that. I think there's gonna be a lot more. We're gonna hear about that. One thing for sure that you mentioned is it is gonna change the LSA weight limit, which is currently for the most part, one thousand three hundred and twenty pounds, yeah, will be replaced with that performance-based rule. Yeah. And so 54-knot maximum stall speed right now. I just looked up what the stall speed is for, for a 182. The V-Ref for approach is 65 to 70 knots. I want to say that stall speed with flaps is 45 knots indicated. Mm. So that would be included Yeah. as is. Yeah. The Tri-Pacer is 42 knots with mm. the 135 or 150 horsepower engine. What is the J
0: 3s stall speed?
1: Of it course, is, that's already a two person airplane.
0: Yeah, that's right, and it does qualify for, based on the weight with LSA. But the stall speed's I think thirty nine miles an hour. So yeah, well within.
1: But an air coupe, certain air coupes are already LSA. Certain air coupes would have the maximum yep. growth weight increased to fourteen hundred pounds. We're not, man. That was, so that'll be different, yeah. and we need to keep an eye on on the on the landing speed. Really, yeah. what you know, I think this is going to be good stuff. I think the other thing that um, I'm looking forward to is maybe some of the newer technology yes. that is available uh, with some of the newer LSAs might trickle down to those older certified airplanes, mm-hmm. and I'm looking really looking forward to that. I would
0: love to have an autopilot in the TriPacer at some point. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And it's also going to fix some of the weird stuff that LSA was uh came about with which things like you know no gyroplanes, no electric motors, that kind of stuff. So it'll fix that as well. So we're gonna talk about that a lot more in 2024 because the NPRM came out in twenty twenty three, but it'll it'll go through its its process in twenty twenty four and maybe come into place. But um David, the FAA, they had a terrible year in twenty twenty three.
1: Oh they did, they did, Ian well first of all, when you talk about the FAA, you gotta think about the fact that it was rudderless, basically leaderless. Yes. For most of the year, until finally, you know, towards the end of this year, in fact, this this quarter specifically, Michael Whitaker was brought on board, and and it was unanimous approval by the Senate. But that was touch and go for a while, and it really didn't have anyone at the helm for what over what a year and a half, it's something Steve crazy. since Steve Dixon.
0: Yeah, that's right, and so. You know, a lot of things that maybe wouldn't have been big issues became big issues, one of which was runway incursions. Let's talk about that. That made national news. Yeah, lots of issues with runway incursions, some of which weren't even necessarily that severe, but they were alarming. Um, The most severe, at least according to the FAA's rank system, was, I think it was in February, actually, in Austin. This was a FedEx and Southwest Plains. They came within 100 feet of each other. Right. Um, I think the FedEx was on approach. One was landing and one was taking off. Yeah. So that was a class A. There were lots of others. You know, we heard about Santa Barbara, BWI, JFK was a big one. Boston, it happened. Uh, I think the latest was, one of the latest was San Diego, where a Citation overflew another Southwest airplane by about 100 feet. So yeah, lots of, lots of issues. And because of the lack of leadership, there was nobody really to speak on behalf of the FAA and say that, hey, we're doing something about it. Right,
1: right. And speaking of the FAA, they already were under the gun, Ian. And you reminded me of this a little while ago. In January of this year, we had that big NOTAM meltdown, the notice-to-air yeah. missions <laughs> meltdown. began at 3.30 a.m., and by 7 a.m., it basically evolved into a ground stop uh, all around the country. And so people who were not aware of what a NOTAM is, all of a sudden, we're aware of that term.
0: Yeah, that's right. And not in a good yeah, way. Every- every airline passenger became a, an aviation expert in fact that you uh, you shared a great story i think it was the new yorker it was like an obscure system known as the notum system which it is obscure that was such a stain on the faa in terms of you know for the international community i mean when you talk about when you claim to be the safest most reliable transportation system in the world. It's like you better not have a minor programming error completely shut down the system. That's right. For hours on end. Right. It's a good
1: point. And you know, yeah, the thing about it, the, that was on the heels of a pretty busy travel season of which in which Southwest Airlines, admittedly not general aviation, but Southwest Airlines had a had a system meltdown as well. So the traveling public was already kind of aware of problems in the air, national airspace system and computer problems with particular airlines. But going back to that Notum outage, at 7 a.m., the FAA tweeted it was working to reboot the system. Uh, An hour later, reported that it was rebooting, and it was. I can see someone like going into a computer room and unplugging, you know, a mainframe and plugging it back in.
0: Can you imagine? It's like they called some poor sap, you know, sitting in the office at the FAA. It's like I don't know what to do, and he calls tech support, and tech support's like, "Well, did you reboot? Yeah, turn it on
1: and turn it off again." (laughs) Oh god! But you know, but Newark, Atlanta airports, you know, the big busy airports on the East Coast. They were just shut down, and that yeah. trickle-down effect really impacted the traveling public, including general aviation aircraft. So you got to mm-hmm. keep in mind that even though the big boys were affected, we all have to check notice. We have to check for TFRs uh, and other yeah. things, and, and no one could really get into that for a pretty long time. And that was
0: a stain, as you said, on the FAA. Yes, it was. Speaking of that, actually, let's talk about Trent Palmer and Trevor Jacob. Trevor Jacob was his own— worst enemy. But Trent Palmer, as we know, the FAA has thrown the book at him, and his latest appeal came this year, and it did not go particularly well for him. So that that has been a major issue, I think, for all of us.
1: No. And if folks have forgotten about, about uh, Trent Palmer, he overflew a friend's property back in 2019. And the problem was he did not land there on mm-hmm. that property. And, and he maintains that, look, I did a flyby because except when necessary for takeoff and landing, you can, you know, you can get closer than 500 mm-hmm. feet. You know, when you're, when you're scoping out an airfield, inspecting an off airport landing area before landing. And he, he says, uh, in his legal briefs, that is essential to safety and therefore necessary and that is what is important to us to you and me and other pilots like if we're yeah. doing a low approach something's not right or we're coming in for landing and something's not right wait a minute you know we we have the right to wave it off Yeah. and so there are there are significant significant results that could happen depending on which way this case eventually goes
0: Yeah. So, and you're exactly right. I mean, so basically he wouldn't, you know, speaking in theoretical terms here, Theoretical. if he had landed, he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have been violated because he would have landed and it was like necessary for landing to do that low pass. But of course they, they are arguing, well, he maybe didn't have any intention of landing. Now, this is, this is one of these situations where it's like, you look at what happened here versus what the implication is. The implication is for all backcountry flyers, anybody else who gets any sort of a low flying, you know, who does these sort of passes. You know, we do them in helicopters. You do these recon passes to make sure that the spot is safe. Any any helicopter pilot who might have to do this. Of course, they don't. They have different regs. But, yeah, same idea. This one really was in a neighborhood. It was in somebody's backyard. So whether this particular one was a smart idea, okay, whatever. But, I mean, the, the point is he was intending to go over there and land and made the pass, decided not to, maybe a little too short, maybe there was an obstruction, I don't know. And the FAA says, oh, no, sorry, that's low flying. And I could be mistaken on this, but I
1: think that his next move is to check out the U.S. Court of Appeals. I could be wrong yeah, about Mr. that. Court, yeah, Court, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, we got to keep an eye on this case, because even though it sounds like it's just one individual, as you mentioned, it does have backcountry implications, and all sorts of implications. I think, think about seaplane pilots when you're overflying yes, a lake. you got You got to exactly. check out and make sure there are no logs floating around or other, point. Other, yep. other things that could snag a float, because that could lead to injury or death. So this is yep. a big deal.
0: Yeah, it is. The other legal case, and we're just going to say this very briefly, because we talked about it last week, and everybody's probably sick of hearing about them at this point, but that's Trevor Jacob, the uh, rather infamous pilot who decided to bail out of his Taylor craft, crash intentionally. They threw the book at him. He caught the book sort of.
1: <laughs> well, I sort mean of. 6 months in a yeah. 6 months in a you know, you know federal pen or something like that. In a
0: prison. That's but yeah. I, that's no Some of all.
1: those federal pens like the one they had in Atlanta, it was actually like a little bit more like a country club kind of atmosphere. He wasn't out there yeah. breaking you know, breaking rocks or you know, working on the side of the road yeah. or something. <laughs> But that's right. uh, but that's not good yeah. for him, and he and he did he sort of admitted you know that he did the wrong thing, but he never did come out in uh, this YouTube video that he recently posted and say, "Hey, I'm sorry." Yeah, you know, and I think that is I think it would have been time for him to say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I screwed up. This won't happen again." I agree. Now he got his certificate yanked, but he got it reinstated this year. Mm-hmm. So
0: yep, so he's
1: back from right.
0: You back in the skies That's yeah scary I don't think we'll see him uh, yeah jump out of any more airplanes hopefully at least not not ones that he's flying right 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 yep and we'll be right back. so Reno Reno a big yeah, yeah big big news for race fans uh, and that was that Reno was ho- hosted its last race theoretically ever at the uh, site Reno State Airport in Nevada mm-hmm. and listen that yep. that
1: had been going on since 1964 at that location now it to be yep. fair it the air races have been uh, elsewhere before, yeah. But than Re- than many other places, but Reno yep. pretty much took it underneath their wing, to, so to speak, to have that. And, Ian, the thing is, is it, it it brought in more than a million visitors to the Reno region and generated mm. about seven hundred and fifty million dollars to the local economy you know, in wow. the past few years. So yeah. that's significant money coming in. That is. But that's it for Reno. And why, why, yeah. why did they decide to move it elsewhere?
0: What was one of the reasons? I don't know. I mean, you got to figure. You know, they said encroachment. You yeah. got to figure. Uh, it's a little bit of that. It's probably they just were sick of sort of. You know, the maybe the image issue uh, with some of the crashes they've had, and unfortunately, as we know, there, there even was this a fatal, year there you know, was a the crash.
1: Absolutely, yeah. that's right. It hold it held up the rest of the racing. That was yeah. it. You know, and I want to say last year the same thing happened. Yeah, uh, racing was shut down. So they had two tragic endings to the races but the races are super popular yeah and and i mean a million visitors you can't not you can't argue with
0: that ian yeah that's true and what's interesting is they are they announced they're going to have an air show this year so right instead yeah they're
1: still going to have an aviation event
0: yeah that's just right just not, not that racing around pylons exactly so yeah we did talk about yeah there were six six potential candidates for this for the new races. That's right. Some of them we know, right? You've you, One you've been to, Buckeye.
1: Buckeye, Arizona is one of the six. And we are going to have a fly-in there again this year in February. And, of course, we invite people to come out to that fly-in. The mayor's a big proponent of general aviation. But, yes, I know that area. And there's a second area I kind of know about because I was warned by Dave Hirschman not to land in Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> because of the winds? <laughs> because... Because of the yeah. high winds. Yeah. And, um, and so I wonder how that would affect potential racing there. Yeah. It
0: does get very windy in Casper, Wyoming. Yep. Um, there's Pueblo, Colorado, which is an interesting choice. Roswell, New Mexico, which is, as far as I know, in the middle of nowhere. So uh, that one is also, you know, in terms of airline traffic getting in, that one might be a hard sell. Et call home. Um, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> Thermal California. Where is? I have no idea where Thermal California is. It
0: sounds sounds hot though. Yeah, well, Palm Springs sort of area. You know, it's okay in the desert. Spot. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then Wendover, Utah. So is that is that near the the
1: Bonneville Salt Flats?
0: It yeah, it has right. gotta be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. West of Salt Lake. So yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. You know, they're they're having to balance. Airport environment, uh, hotels, you know, as we know from these events, uh, airline traffic, you know, how can you get in and out, car parking, you know, there's all sorts of things they have to build. Salt there. Lake is easy
1: to get into and out of. Well, that's That's true. a major hub. So, and Phoenix is not far from Buckeyes. Those two I
0: do know about. Yeah. Right. That's very true. All right. So fuels. Probably, I would argue, the biggest story of the year. And that's because we're finally seeing... Uh, Unlike what Paul Bertorelli thinks, we are finally starting to see some progress, I think, on the replacement of 100 low light. Yeah. You know, absolutely. we've got Gammy 100UL. It's being flown in AOPAs uh, in the Bonanza. So we're mm-hmm. demonstrating. No, the, that. B,
1: the, the Baron, the Baron, oh, C55 Baron. Yeah, in the Baron. Right, twin engine, because yep. we've got one engine on on regular AV gas as we know it, and one engine uh, flying the GAMI G100 unleaded. Yeah. And we're keeping an eye on that. And you know, it's been flying, Ian. It's, it's we've racked up forty, fifty hours so far already within a short time period. No hiccups at all. I got to fly with Mark Baker. Uh, I was right seat with him. Oh man, he's such a good pilot, and especially in a Baron. I mean, this yeah, is like he loves Barons, yeah. Oh, he he does. He's yeah. he's had he's had so many Barons. I want to say at one of our shows we talked about that he had one Baron three times, three different times. <laughs> same same airplane. <laughs> Right, yeah. but it's, it's in Ada, Oklahoma. That's where Gammy is headquartered, and mm-hmm. we are doing some testing on that. Listen, before we move on to the other fuels, it's, it's interesting to note that we are—we'd like to say we're fuel agnostic. Mm-hmm. We want to go with an unleaded fuel that that works the best for the most amount of different aircraft. And Gammy—it um, just happens to be what we're we're running right now. Yeah, Uh, The Swift 94 unleaded is out there. UND did a pretty big test with them. And you had some thoughts on that um, a couple episodes ago.
0: Yeah, well, not my thoughts, but just kind of relaying Mike Bush's thoughts. And so he Uh he does talk about this in the latest uh, column and pilot uh, in the magazine. UND, you know, they had been running Swift UL 94 and had put up tens of thousands of hours on these engines. And they have decided... That's because of valve recession, which is kind of an old concern about unleaded fuel, they said they found it and that they stopped using it. So Mike brought up some really good points about, okay, did they actually find that? Is that the best measure? All sorts of things. And so I think we're going to learn a lot more in the coming months about exactly what's going on there and what happened.
1: In other words, the the I don't want to say the testing of it, but the observation might uh, have been done a different way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so basically, what we're saying is the jury is still out on that, despite yes. the forty six thousand hours uh, yeah. or however many thousands of hours that
0: they they ran. Yeah. Tons. Yeah. And of course, uh, Eagle. You know the uh, the Eagle Initiative and Paffy. Yeah. And Paffy. Paffy. Yep. We
1: have new new PAFI rules. PAFI is something that that started even before I got to AOPA. But I remember one of the first meetings that I attended with Tom Haynes and some other bigwigs, it was the Piston Aviation Fuels Initiative. And that was uh, basically a government run program it's mm-hmm. like not yes. not an independent company like like george brawley with gammy but government sort of administered and, and there's news with that vp racing v like victor p like papa racing has ul 100 e fuel and has successfully passed a 150 hour engine durability test recently so that's big news
0: and so that means they're going to be able to fly it on airframes now on actual aircraft And so they're going through the next step in the process. And so, yeah, I mean, in general, I think we're getting somewhere, which is great news. Still a long way to go. uh, And we'll learn even more in the coming year, I'm sure. But uh, for me, definitely one of the biggest stories of the year.
1: Fuel being a big story. And uh, you did mention Eagle. Eagle is the initiative that brings a lot of stakeholders together all in one room. independents as well as government-administered fuel initiatives. And so we know by 2030, we have to have unleaded fuel out there for everybody.
0: Yep. All right. Finally, we talked about this last week. It's just developing here in the last couple of weeks of the year, and that is uh, vans entering Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They are more
1: than $10 million in debt to 25,000 creditors. That was surprising news because they are one of the more Uh, Successful aviation manufacturers. If you think about 11,000 aircraft flying at this point, Mm -hmm. but they did hit some hard times. They had some kit production difficulties that went unaddressed for a couple of months, and then people who had deposits on kits wanted their money back, and uh, and, you know it all came down to some the way they were handling the the metal structures, the way holes are drilled, and and, and anodize and paint and things like this. So that was a real shocker to me. Um, they, they lost a million dollars so far this year in a 2022, they were on on the board to lose $3.3 million. So it added up and something had to be done. So they filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy. They're going to increase their kit costs by about 32% moving forward and, uh, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on what's going on with vans. But, I mean, to me, that was a total shock because they had just introduced the RV-15.
0: Yeah, it is a shock. And, I mean, you know, they've been around for so long, over 50 years. And I, I think it is bad news for people who wanted to build one and then mostly for people who had already put down deposits because those prices are going up, as you said, 30%. And that's, yes. that is a tough bill to swallow for people. And, unfortunately, they're just going to have to do it if if they want to see their— their return. Otherwise, I think they're going to be, they're not going to get their money back, basically. is there's
1: going to be low on the totem pole for bankruptcy creditors. Yeah. And Vance has new policies uh, on how they package their and sell their kits and no deletions policy, revising their kit deposit terms and payment schedules.
0: Yeah, that's right. David, it's been quite a year. I mean, lots of interesting stories there. There's tons that we had to cut back, you know, it was a great year for safety. We had, I mean, I think the Gamma numbers were fantastic. So it's it's really 2023. I think has uh, been a really nice year for for general aviation. The supply chains seem to have eased a bit. You know, I think people are able to get oil filters again, for example, right, and tires, uh, which is great. The one unfortunate kind of sour thing we didn't really want to talk about as news so much is just something that's impacted us personally. And that was the, you know, the death of Richard McSpadden.
1: That's right. And, um, and our hearts still go out to Richard's family. His son Grant is flying professionally now. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I was involved with that flight. As most people know, Uh, the NTSB preliminary report came back with, with very little news of what might've happened. Yeah. Yeah. Only thing I I can say is that, you know, the, 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 um, aircraft was within the airport, I would say boundaries. Uh, it, it, unlike other published reports, no, we did not go flying way out over Lake Placid. It was all within the airport immediate environment. We still don't know what happened, and the yeah. NTSB has been out there, and uh, you know we we just don't know what to say about that. ASI will go on and has, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, big news that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. The safety report that comes out every year will now be known as the Richard G. McSpadden report, with yeah. a nod
0: to Richard uh, McSpadden instead of the Nall report. Yeah, very fitting. And I one thing that's really touched me is that I've I've heard. From people whom I didn't really expect to, just you know, it's like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about Richard. He he meant a lot to us. I mean, you you know, you heard last episode, from Josh Olson, the director of Angel Flight West, that Richard helped them develop a safety system. I mean, he just had his his influence. You know, he hadn't been at AOPA for decades, right? I mean, he obviously we knew he was a Thunderbird. I mean, he had been there for a number of years, but. The amount of work that he did and the impact that he had in that short time is really incredible.
1: Yeah, and he would parse the numbers uh, and and come up with what the likely scenarios were and where ASI then could put more of the brunt of their power to help train people Mm -hmm. to avoid... Uh, that particular situation. And so, yeah. yes, that, that was a big deal. And uh, that was uh, one one of... Richard really put his his authorship on a lot of that. And of course, we miss reading his musings in AOPA Pilot Magazine yeah. as well. Yep. Yeah. And there I was. Right. Yeah. And there I was, um, the podcast. And then a lot of uh, people, including myself, and I don't know about you, but I was very hesitant to get back in the air after that because I felt like, mm. hey, if that happened to Richard and he was so good, then I know uh, what would happen to me? I'm just David Tuless, you know, in a tri pacer yeah. or Cessna 172. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our colleagues have mentioned that over the past few weeks that they they really questioned their flying ability. But the bottom line is that you have to get out there, and we have to. Do what Richard would always close his columns with, which is get out there and go fly. Yeah, that's right.
0: All right, David. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, Ian, and to all of our dedicated listeners. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And um, here's to a uh, happy and prosperous 2024.
1: And same back to you and also to our longtime audio engineer, austin
0: hansen yes thank you austin
1: also want to remind people that you could always listen to us at aopa.org slash talk or wherever you get your podcast ian good luck with that piper j3 thanks in 2024
0: all right we'll see you next time
1: see you hangar talk from aopa your freedom to fly